Hello, and welcome to episode number three of the podcast, An Intelligent Look at Terrorism. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. So, this podcast is going to look at a topic that is on everybody's minds these days, and that topic is Islamic State, the terrorist group that has horrified many in Iraq and Syria over the past five years or so. And I'm entitling this particular podcast, Wither Islamic State. Now, if you choose to look at the quasi-transcript, background information that accompanies this podcast, you'll find that I've written the word wither as W, open brackets, H, close brackets, I-T-H-E-R, meaning, it's a bit of a play on words, I guess, meaning, uh, where is Islamic State going? And is, in fact, Islamic State withering, i.e., is it falling apart? So I guess when we look at the question of what Islamic State is today and what threat it poses, we have to start with a tweet that U.S. President Donald Trump issued a few weeks ago in which he stated categorically, and I quote, We have won against ISIS. We've beaten them, and we've beaten them badly. End quote. Well, I think as many as my listeners can appreciate, uh, not everything that Mr. Trump tweets is accurate. We won't go down that road. That's for a different podcast, not one on terrorism. But it was interesting to me that a lot of people within the U.S. intelligence and military environments uh, took issue with with the president's tweet and said um, that they didn't agree. And in fact, if you read about the big brouhaha, and I wrote a, a blog about this on my, on my website, www.borealisthreatenrisk.com, a few days ago, the 2019 threat assessment that just came out from the U.S. intelligence community said quite categorically that Islamic State still, still poses a threat, not just to countries in the region, but also to the United States itself. So there is a bit of a controversy over whether or not Islamic State is yesterday's terrorist group, today's terrorist group, or as we'll discuss, tomorrow's terrorist group. So I want to talk about that today in this podcast. But let's go back a stage and let's just talk about the name Islamic State itself. It's one that's led to a lot of controversy, a lot of disagreement. People saying you shouldn't call it Islamic State because it's not Islamic and it's not a state. And I've written on that as well on several occasions in the past. But let's go back to where where does Islamic State come from? And so, it's not that old. It only dates back to the mid-2000s, and it is a direct consequence of the U.S. decision to invade Iraq in 2003. So the original Islamic State was, in fact, an Al-Qaeda affiliate called Al-Qaeda in Iraq. And as time went on, it morphed into Islamic State in, in Iraq, Islamic State in Iraq in the Levant, or ISIL, also known as Islamic State in Iraq and uh, uh, Shams. Shams is an Arabic word referring to the Levant, to the short-form Islamic State. Some people, upset about the use of the word Islamic, suggested we call it Daesh. And as I pointed out, Daesh is simply the Arabic version of Islamic State in Iraq and the Levant. So Daesh is, a, I guess, a quasi-Arabic acronym, if you will, that stands for Adawla al-Islamiyya fi Iraq al-Shams, which is Islamic State in Iraq and the Levant. Although some people have pointed out that Daesh sounds an awful lot like the Arabic word 
which means to crush or to trample, and was therefore an insult to Islamic State. And I did read some analyses that people who fight for or belong to Islamic State aren't too keen when they hear the word Daesh used to describe them. At the same time, if you're a terrorist group which is trying to instill fear in the population and they call you something which sounds like the trampler or the crusher, that's kind of a compliment in a way, isn't it? So all that aside, I have made it my practice to call the group Islamic State from day one. I don't call it Daesh. I don't call it ISIS. I don't call it ISIL. We can agree to disagree and, and just leave it at that. So how is Islamic State doing these days? Well, there's no question that from the perspective of territory that is controlled, uh, number of fighters that are within the organization, it isn't at its at its heyday as it was in 2014-2015. You know, back when, when Islamic State was um, carrying out dozens, if not hundreds of terrorist attacks every week, there were tens of thousands of members, many of whom came from from. from outside of Iraq and, and, and Syria, and they be, they became what's called the foreign fighter problem, which I, my second book was all about Western foreign fighters, published by Roman and Littlefield in 2016. It had territory. I was always bemused to see, you know, they, ter- they controlled territory as large as England or as large as Maine, the state of Maine, the United States. And I always wonder uh, how, how we choose to use those analogies when describing how big something is. Nevertheless, um, since that time, there's been a massive military effort to degrade Islamic State, both the United States and its allies, including Canada, as well as Russia, which is a Syrian ally, uh, have pounded Islamic State relentlessly. And the terrorist group simply is not what it once was back in 2014-2015. Tens of thousands of Islamic State terrorists slash fighters have been killed. Thousands have been incarcerated. Some have returned home to their countries, which is a whole other issue, which I'll probably uh, talk about in a future podcast. But there's no question that Islamic State has suffered greatly in the past three to four years. I won't go as far as saying that they're beaten and defeated, as, as President Trump has said. And we're, we'll look at that in more detail today. But there's no question that some progress has been made, if progress is the correct word to use when talking about fighting a terrorist group. But more importantly, when we talk about Islamic State, or any terrorist group for that matter, any Islamist extremist group, I'm going to limit myself to that because I'm not quite sure the same thing applies to far-right groups or far-left groups, for example. We in the intelligence community tended to have sort of a tripartite classification system in the sense that we would talk about the terrorist group core. We would talk about the terrorist group affiliates, and we talk about the terrorist group inspired. So let's look at Islamic State as of January, or sorry, February. My God, it's February already. Let's look at Islamic State as of February 2019 from those three levels. So the core is still there. Uh, the leader al-Baghdadi has not been located. He has not been found, imprisoned, killed, whatever. He's still around. There still are probably thousands of fighters still with Islamic State, despite the fact tens of thousands have been killed. There's tens of thousands still left, which speaks volumes about the terrorist group's ability to recruit and retain people. It is still carrying out attacks in Iraq and Syria, despite the fact that its territory has shrunk. The the so-called caliphate is no more. So Islamic State core survives. It has not been defeated. It has been battered. 
It has had its influence and its territory decreased, but it has not been outright defeated. And who knows how long that's going to take. I'm already seeing analyses by, by, by pundits and thinkers and researchers talking about Islamic State 2.0. So if their analysis is correct, then we're, we're going to see these guys maintain a certain attack tempo for some time to come. What about the Islamic State affiliates? Now, this is a lot more interesting from my perspective, because one thing that Islamic State has been incredibly successful at doing, and that is creating, or maybe creating is the wrong word, giving rise to a number of affiliates right across the globe, spreading from the Far East, Far East Asia all the way into Africa. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the so-called affiliates. Um, the ones that I'm aware of uh, are in the Philippines. I'm going to talk about the Philippines more when I get get to uh, the terrorist attack of the week, so to speak, at the end of this particular introduction. Uh, Thai authorities think that there's an Islamic State, at least smaller group in southern Thailand, and we talked about the situation in southern Thailand during the last podcast. There is probably an Islamic State small affiliate in Bangladesh. There's one in India. There's certainly one in Afghanistan called the Islamic State in Khorasan, Khorasan being a province in, in Afghanistan, and that particular affiliate has been very active of late in carrying out attacks, and in fact is a primary target of U.S. and coalition air forces uh, and Afghan ground troops in Afghanistan. There's a major Islamic State affiliate in Yemen. There is uh, an Islamic State affiliate in Somalia, and if you recall, I've talked about the fact that Al-Shabaab, the main terrorist group, in Somalia, which is Al-Qaeda linked, at least historically, has in fact declared war against the Islamic State in Somalia. We have terrorist groups fighting terrorist groups. There is an Islamic State in the Greater Sahara. So that's kind of the Sahel region, sort of south of North Africa, that goes across several countries. And there's also an Islamic State affiliate in Nigeria that's kind of competing with Boko Haram, which is the major terrorist group in, in Nigeria. And that's the, that group calls itself Islamic State in West Africa. Those are the main ones that seem to get a lot of the attention right now. And they vary in size, and they vary in terms of lethality. That is the particular attacks they can carry out successfully. But there's a lot of them, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's more uh, in the years to come. There's an Islamic State affiliate in the Sinai. So Egypt's dealing with an Islamic State affiliate as well. And, and, and Egyptian armed forces are having a hell of a time. Uh, keeping track of and, and neutralizing these guys that have been responsible for terrorist attacks in Cairo, especially against Coptic Christians, which is a constant theme with Islamist extremists, how they, they hate Christianity and they target Christians on a regular basis. So from an affiliate perspective, it's quite clear that they're not going away either. But what about the inspired? This is a much more nebulous category. Because anyone can claim to be inspired by Islamic State. You don't necessarily have to have any any re real affiliation to them or uh, contact with them or having traveled there or having been directed by them. But you see Islamic State as something that you aspire toward, towards, you like what they're doing, and you want to be associated with them. So there are a lot of attacks that are carried out by individuals that could ostensibly be called inspired by Islamic State, as difficult as it is to nail down sometimes. And I'll simply cite a couple in Canada. Um, low level, there is an attack in September of 2017 in, in Edmonton, in Western Canada, where uh, a man 
in a car ran over a police officer outside of a football stadium, uh, injuring the police officer and got out and tried to stop him, got back in the car, ended up in on one of Edmonton's uh, most busiest thoroughfares and struck and, and injured a couple of pedestrians, finally rolled his van and when they, when they arrested him, they found an Islamic State flag in the car. That case is still before the courts. Then we have the case of Rahab Dukmash, who was a woman who entered a Canadian tire in Scarborough in the summer of 2017 and ended up uh, injuring people with a golf club and also had a knife with her. And she claimed to be acting for Islamic State as well. So those are just two small examples from Canada. And then there's dozens of examples around the world and throughout the Western world that look at people who see themselves as inspired by Islamic State. So if we take those three categories, and again, sort of a bit of a summary Islamic State core is battered and bruised, but not over. The affiliates are showing amazing resilience around the world. They're not going away anytime soon, and new, and new affiliates might arise. And those who are inspired by Al- by, Al-Qaeda, by Islamic State uh, are also essentially legion around the world because it's in, it's simple to say that you've been inspired by Islamic State. we got to be careful sometimes with Islamic State claiming acts of terrorism. So a good example would be an attack... Last summer, the summer of 2018 in Toronto, where a man with a gun went down Danforth Street in the eastern part of, of Toronto, ended up killing two people and wounding several others, Islamic State claimed him as one of their own. And there's absolutely no evidence that I've seen that the man who ended up killing himself before police could arrest him had any affiliation with Islamic State. So it's hard for me to say that, yes, that was an Islamic State-inspired attack when there's nothing to suggest that that was, in fact, the case. You know, if you're Islamic State, it's, it's, it's a freebie. Why not claim as many attacks as you can because it makes you look that much stronger and it strikes that much more fear in the hearts of people who think that, you know, as a terrorist group that, you, that you're finished. The last thing I want to say about this, I think is really important, and that is we got to be really careful as societies, as governments, as leaders, when we say that terrorist group A is defeated or terrorist group A is no, no longer poses a threat. That is possible only where every single member of the group is either dead or in jail or categorically rejects the use of violence in the name of that group anymore. And I'm not sure how you get there. There are lots of groups that have been beaten, that have been had their abilities diminished, but never really disappear. And I, I wrote a recent blog on my website about the IRA is a good example. The IRA has been around for a century. And everyone thought that, you know, post the Good Friday Accords in 95, that this was a, a former terrorist group. And yet, the police in Northern Ireland have discovered a couple of attacks, fortunately very small bombs so far, that have been claimed by the new IRA. So that movement, which has been around for a long time, isn't gone either. I, I think we have to be very judicious in our use of the term victory. You know, I've argued a lot about my opposition to the use of the term war and terrorism for the simple matter that you don't go to war against ideas, you don't go to war against philosophies, you don't go to war against worldviews for the simple reason that philosophies and ideologies and worldviews don't surrender. They simply manifest themselves in different ways. So how can you defeat terrorism when terrorism is an opponent that's not going to sit down at the negotiating table? It's not going to have all of its members killed in airstrikes or ground operations or incarcerated or whatever. Uh, 
So I don't think it's a good idea to start declaring victory against either a specific terrorist group or against terrorism in general. We have to really get away from that terminology because it's leading to a very false impression as to what is doable, what is feasible in our struggle against terrorism and in our in our efforts to neutralize terrorist groups per se. And I make these arguments uh, to a great extent in my latest group, An End to the War on Terrorism, also available from Roman and Littlefield. So bottom line is that uh, I disagree with President Trump. Uh, Islamic State has not been defeated. They are still out there. And unfortunately, uh, you and I and others who work in counterterrorism, whether it's as intelligence agencies or law enforcement organizations or academics, researchers, etc., we'll be talking about Islamic State for the foreseeable future. I wish I could say it otherwise, but unfortunately, the reality is they're not going away. So, as in other podcasts, I like to end with what I'm calling a featured attack, and it's very much in keeping with the Islamic State theme of this podcast. So on January 27th, um, there was two bombs went off inside a cathedral in a place on the southern island of Holo in the southern Philippines. 20 people were killed and anywhere from 80 to 100 were wounded. And Islamic State, the Islamic State affiliate in the Philippines, claimed responsibility for this attack. Interestingly, in terms of the timing, the Philippines government, which has basically declared a war on drugs and a war on everything, had agreed to a referendum in which parts of the southern Philippines would become autonomous. Now, the the context is important here. The southern Philippines is predominantly Muslim and has been for a very, very long time. The Philippines is nominally associated with Catholicism, and that dates from the Spanish occupation from the uh, middle 16th century to the late 19th century. But the southern part of the country has always been Muslim. In addition, there have been a number of terrorist groups that have been active in the southern Philippines for quite some time. These are Islamist extremist groups. Uh, and go by, there's a variety of them out there. Uh, there's the Bangsal Moro Islamic Front. There is one, one that has the very unfortunate name of the Moro Islamic Liberation Front, or MILF which is pronounced MILF, and I'm not going down that road as to what uh, MILF means in, in vernacular English. And there's a group called the Abu Sayyaf group, which is historically linked to Al-Qaeda. And in some ways, uh, there was some uh, controversy or uncertainty whether or not the attack on Holo was in fact an Abu Sayyaf attack or an Islamic State attack. But last summer, or rather in 2017, there was a siege in the southern city of Marawi, which in fact had been held by the Islamic State affiliate for quite some time, and the government went in and blasted essentially the whole city. There's a fascinating New York Times piece on what's left of Marawi after the government siege and the and the disappearance of Islamic State and other terrorist groups from that area, and it's it's worth checking out. So I think that this attack in the Philippines illustrates quite clearly just how lethal and how brutal these terrorist groups can be. This is an Islamic State affiliate. It happens to be active in the Philippines. I could have just as easily have chosen an attack in Burkina Faso that was attributed to an Islamic State affiliate. I could have referenced an attack by Islamic State in the Sinai against Coptic Christians. I could have 
reference an attack by Islamic State in Khorasan in eastern Afghanistan against civilians, or Islamic State in Yemen. So, again, I think this, this supports the point I'm trying to make here in this podcast, is that Islamic State as a terrorist group, whether it's core, affiliated, or inspired, is still something we have to worry about. We're not going to defeat these guys anytime soon, which is not to say we don't we shouldn't keep trying. And, you know, we could argue and, and talk a lot about what is the most or what is the best way to deal with terrorism, whether it's through military means or whether it's through civil society measures or intelligence agencies. And again, I don't want to belabor the point, but I do talk about a lot of this stuff in the book, The War on Terrorism, An End to the War on Terrorism. But I think as consumers of information, as, as citizens, uh, as people who live in countries that in which terrorism is a very real, clear and present danger, in some countries more than others, I think it's important that we look at this phenomenon. And when we consume news and we consume information, is to do so critically and not accept it at face value. So we talked about the fact that you know the president... President Trump tweeted about the defeat and his own intelligence officials and military officials disagreed. So there's a there's a disconnect there somewhere. And again, I'm not going to get into, you know, President Trump's relationship with his intelligence agencies and his military. I talked about that in the blog a couple of weeks ago. But bottom line is, if we keep thinking about this as a war on terrorism, a war on an idea, it's a war that's never ending. This war has been called the Long War, it's been called the Everlasting War, it's been called the Eternal War. So I think our vocabulary has to shift. I think our way of looking at this has to shift. And we have to get a lot better collectively as nations and, and as citizens in coming up with ideas to defeat this. Because what we're doing now is not the solution. It's not to say it hasn't, isn't having some effects, it is, but it's not the overall solution. So that's it for podcast number three. I do hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you found it interesting. I'd love to hear your feedback. Again, you can reach me um, via email at borealisrisk at gmail.com. You can go to my website, www.borealisthreatenedrisk.com. You can leave message for me, messages for me on LinkedIn or on Facebook or on Twitter at, at borealissaves. So until our next meeting, stay safe. <laughs>